you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. Not one understands, not one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through the faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that no one is justified that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or if God, the God of the Jews only, is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Amen. Thank you, Dan. Welcome again to Mosaic. If this is your first time visiting, I am not Morgan Stevens, although we totally look alike and dress alike. My name is Shad, and I serve as the campus ministry pastor here. If you didn't know, Mosaic is a part of a larger body of churches within an organization called Every Nation, and Pastor Kerry and Morgan are actually out at our Every Nation church in Augusta, Georgia. So what that means is we can do whatever we want. So with that being said, God bless you, and you're dismissed. (laughs) No, just kidding. I hope that you are excited to be here as I am today. We're going to continue in our sermon series entitled The Gospel is for Everyone, where we're taking a look at the book of Romans. Now, there is good news and there is bad news about this sermon series. The good news is, is that the title of this sermon series is true, that the gospel is indeed for everyone. Now, the bad news is, is that the book of Romans can be a pretty intense read. And as we are only in chapter 3 of the book of Romans, I suspect that many of us have begun to look like this the further we go along in this series. <laughs> Looks like even the Pope is stressed from Romans reading it, right? No, but really, unfortunately, the bad news is, is that not everyone is going to accept that the gospel is for everyone. And because they won't accept that, they won't actually begin to truly see how the gospel can be played out through their lives. See, it was almost two years ago that I had some really good news that I wanted to proclaim to the world, and that was I was getting ready to marry my now wife, Caress. 
See, her and I were sent as missionaries from this church with other students and staff to Christ Church, New Zealand. And it was there, after I did all of my Jesus work, of course, first, that I proposed to caress in the mountains in New Zealand. Yes, this is a picture of it. This is her shocked. This is me with perfect form. And this was our scripture reader, Dan, in the back, kind of looking creepy as he's recording the whole thing. I figured, why not take advantage of the beautiful scenery to remind Caress that this was as good as she was going to get, and nobody else was going to propose in the mountains in New Zealand, right? See, Christ Church in New Zealand is a special place for her and I because of the good experience that we had and the good news that was proclaimed in this moment. But for many other people, on March 15, 2019, they heard of Christ Church New Zealand for the first time, and it wasn't good news. It was actually really bad news. See, it was bad news because there was a horrendous terrorist attack that occurred within a local mosque there within the city. The attack happened during a Friday afternoon prayer service, and to make matters worse, the attack was live-streamed so the entire world can see. And it was in that moment, I believe, that the world was reminded of this one thing, whether we want to believe it or not, and that is, evil truly does exist. And not only does it exist, it exists in us as people. So it doesn't matter whether it was the shooting in Christchurch or even the bombings that happened at a local church in Sri Lanka on Easter or the attack of a Jewish synagogue a few weeks ago or even last week the shooting that happened in Virginia Beach or even the small amount of road rage you and I could have had trying to get to church today so we can get that perfect parking spot. We see that there's something wrong in the world and what's wrong is what's inside of us. See, we lack world peace because there's a lack of peace within us. And we, as people, are sometimes fueled by bitterness and judgment, and we, belie- we believe the lie that we tell ourselves each and every day, that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, if we were to be honest, that we think that we're better than the people that are around us, and sometimes we even think that we're better than the person we're currently sitting next to. And this is a reminder to us that we are extremely flawed as human beings. Evil does exist, and it exists in each and every one of us, and how evil manifests itself like the shooting in Christchurch, is a people that are truly fighting to be seen and to be known as valuable amongst others. I believe that at the core of every act is humanity's desperate cry to want to be accepted by people, even if it comes at the expense of somebody else's life. And in the same way, when we look at the book of Romans, we find a man named Paul who knew all too well about the evil in people's hearts because he had to come face to face with the evil in his own heart. See, once named Saul of Tarsus, Paul was a Jewish rabbi to this religious group called the Pharisees who studied the Torah, which we would consider the first five books of our now Christian Bible. And because of Paul's devotion to what he believed as religious truth at the time, Paul saw newly converted Christians as both blasphemers to the truth and less than equal to the Pharisees. So in turn, because of that, he pretty much set forth a revolution to kill as many Christians as he could. Because he thought that they were a threat to Jewish culture within Jerusalem, but they weren't as much a threat to Jewish culture as much as they were a threat to his own insecurities. And those insecurities were left to be on display for all of Jerusalem to see as he went around persecuting and murdering Christians. But sometime after that, Paul had his own personal conversion experience with Jesus, and it was there that he learned that the gospel was indeed for everyone, even for a murderer like himself. See, the church in Rome was made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish leaders. And around 41 AD, a Roman emperor by the name of Claudius actually expelled all Jewish people from Rome. And it was then that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, began establishing their customs and religious beliefs all throughout the church in Rome. So 
when that happened, we began to see the Gentiles really take over the church. Well, about five years later, those once expelled Jews were allowed back into Rome. And it was then, if you can imagine, extreme amounts of both racial and religious tension there within the city. And this religious tension had to do with these Jewish people who were following Jesus and these Gentiles who were following Jesus. So a key problem within the church of Rome at the time was not brought forth by non-believers, but by the believers of Jesus. And to that I say, go figure. These seemingly conservative and liberal believers at the time were at odds with one another, not just about how society should be run, but how the church should function. But I don't think we've seen anything like that here in the United States, right? Conservatives and liberals fighting amongst each other within the church. Well, you know, Paul saw this as an issue in Rome. He thrusted himself into culture as a representative of God to actually unify the Jewish and Gentile believers. Paul was motivated to do so out of the lament that was in his heart because he saw the tension that was amongst believers. See, the book of Romans is not just some rant of anger. It's actually not a rant at all, but it's an expression of the sorrow that was in his heart that Pastor Morgan talked about last week. So because of that, Paul begins preaching to the Jews and Gentiles that the same gospel that same him is the same gospel that was available for both sects of people. And though his preaching caused tension within the church in Rome, God's true church actually began to rise up. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 3 of Romans, where Paul is essentially declaring then what I want us to hear today, and that is the gospel is for everyone because the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. Again, the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. And I have two points that prove this, and they are, number one, our sin, and number two, God's righteousness. Again, number one, our sin, and number two, God's righteousness. So number one, our sin. And I want to get straight to the point. Our personal sin is the reason why we as a people don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. Again, our personal sin, not the sin of anybody else, is the reason why we don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. And this is really bad news, and I would submit that this news is actually evil. This is the type of evil that Paul was lamenting about amongst the believers in Rome. And unfortunately, that evil is deeply embedded in each and every one of our hearts too as well. And Paul begins to address this in verse 9 when he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Essentially, Paul is saying that no person is better than the other, and that even though he's a Jew, he's no better than the Gentile, and the Gentile is no better than the Jew. And he goes on to emphasize this point right after by saying, none is righteous, no, not one. Now, for time purposes, we can describe and define righteousness as one who is in right standing with God. And to be in right standing with God, it would almost mean that you would have to be as God, which means that you would have to be perfect. Now, I'm going to ask a seemingly logical question that we all know the answer to, but I must ask it today. Is there anyone in the room who's perfect? Okay, so no one's Jesus. I didn't think so. That's good. All right, so now that we have all came to this conclusion, we can all say that none of us are in right standing with God by our merit alone. And I want to be very clear about something that is something that is sobering and that's hard. And this may be the first time that you've heard this, but you are not righteous on your merit alone. And if you're upset about that, please take it up with God. That's what the Bible says. Please don't get upset with me. Please don't get upset with Mosaic. 
I am definitely not righteous on my merit alone. You'll find that out within the next 27 minutes if you don't know me already. Your big mama, your grandma, or your oma that prays for you daily, she's not righteous on her merit alone either. Sad news, not even our beloved pastor, the Morgan Stevens, he's not righteous on his merit alone either. You know what? Even though he is way holier than I am, but that's not saying much because it's just me. We can all conclude that he's not righteous on his merit alone. The social media activist is not righteous on their merit alone either. The good Samaritan who helped the old lady across the street with their three-legged dog, she's not righteous either. No one is righteous on their merit alone. And to make matters worse, Paul begins to mourn and lament about the state of the unrighteousness amongst those within the church. And he kind of pours salt in the wound of their egos by saying, No one seeks for God. And like the Jewish and Gentile believers of that day, many of us may seek the things of God, but we're not truly seeking God himself. So I know we think we may be good in comparison to the shooters in Christ's church, or maybe even Hitler, but when we compare ourselves to an almighty, holy, and righteous God, none of us are in right standing with him. And if anyone thinks that we are inherently good, what I want you to do at the end of service, I want you to look in the seat back in front of you. I want you to grab one of those connection cards, and I want you to say that you're going to volunteer for MKIDS for all four services all summer, and tell me how you feel about that statement after you volunteer with our kiddos, right? I mean, we love our kids here at Mosaic. They're so cute and sweet, but they aren't always God's little angels. Unfortunately, they sin too. I mean, nobody is currently in the back of MKIDS teaching the children to yell the word mine to their friends. Well, at least I hope not. The only reason why children would make such a statement is because that statement has been deeply embedded in their heart before they were even able to speak their first words. Or even worse, this type of selfishness has been exampled and put on display to them by us as adults. And this type of selfishness oftentimes actually starts with a harsh disposition of judgment and entitlement. And although we may think that this is a funny concept when we think about children, it is not a funny concept when we begin to think about this is how sometimes we treat each other as adults within the church. For example, in my own personal arrogance, I have found myself thinking that I am better than my wife because I have perceived myself to be more righteous than her. See, when we got married, for some odd reason, I thought it was my job to disciple my wife in the ways of the Lord, just because I have been serving in a ministerial position longer than her. I mean, because I'm super safe, right, and the man of God and the pastor, like, I'm supposed to lead our household in this way, but Needless to say, I found out pretty quickly that that didn't work out too well in my family. (laughs) Especially not with a black wife. It really didn't work out too well. (laughs) Especially when I was laid up in bed for the past eight months with a broken leg where my every request was at the helm of her saying yes, even though I was treating her this way. See, I found myself getting frustrated with myself and her because I was thinking, because I did certain religious things differently than her, then I was better than her. For example, praying in the morning earlier than she did. Or even praying longer than she did. Funny enough, after all my praying, I was the only one who was stressed in our household. (laughs) While I was up, praying heaven down for all of our stresses to go away. Caress was way less stressed about everything because she wasn't praying out of religious anxiety like I was. She simply trusted God, prayed, and do what she does best. She just went back to sleep (laughs) while I was up stressing about everything that was going on. See, I thought I was better than her because I did things of God differently than her. And unfortunately, the only person in the world who would ever think that I am more righteous than my wife is actually me. (laughs) 
And I remember one day when I was spending time with God because I couldn't go anywhere with my broken leg, I heard God speak to me this. Hey, you shouldn't really question Caressa's judgment-making skills, her decision-making skills, or how she follows me. Because she did choose to marry you, you fool. <laughs> At least that's how I feel God talks to me when I'm getting rebuked. And it was then I just responded back to God. It's like, man, well, God, of course I'm completely questioning her judgment-making skills because why would somebody so great even marry somebody like me? And now I'm crying and all this stuff like this. <laughs> but you see, it's easy to think that we are better than someone just because we follow God in different ways than they do. And Paul basically says to the Jews and the Gentiles, I know you both think that you're following me in the right way, but none of you are actually following me or truly even seeking me. And Paul proves this statement really by exposing their words, their thoughts, and their actions in just a few verses. See, in verses 13 through 18, he basically says things like this, that their throat is like an open grave. Why? Because of the lies that they tell daily. He says their words kill people. Why? Because their words are like a, the venom that's found in an African viper. He said their feet move to perform deeds that leads others and even themselves into a path of destruction. And because of the lack of peace in their own heart, they actually spread of lack of peace to everyone else in Rome. And finally, he goes on to say that those don't even fear God anymore because probably they've made themselves to be God in their own lives and trying to be God for somebody else. And sadly, today, we are no different. This is our sin, and so I don't mean to be so direct, but if I can keep pressing in and being direct here for a little while longer, I want to ask a sobering question, and that is, is this you? Is this your sin nature? When you look at your life based upon the words that you use, the actions that you commit, or even the thoughts that you have towards others, is what Paul's saying a reflection of your character? If so, I hope both you and I would take this moment and be like Paul and actually weep over the fact of that. Now, for others of you, you may say quickly, no, this isn't me, but I want to ask you a question, and that is, why are you so quick to say no? Are you sensitive about the question that's being asked or even asked directly about you? If so, I would submit that the area that you are most sensitive about your life is probably the area that sin has its greatest hold within your life. It's probably the area where we begin to seek God the least and begin to justify the ways that we follow God and want everybody else to follow him in that same way. And this is where we begin to make up ideologies about who God is. But this is our sin, and then Paul keeps going in. He keeps pressing in out of lament, and he says this. He says, no one understands. Really, the only concept that we have about God can be found in verse 20 where Paul says this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Translation simply put, no person will ever be in right standing with God by what they do alone. And the more you study the law of God, the more you should see yourself as a sinner in the midst of God. Why? Because it is through the law that we have knowledge about our sin. So if you don't see yourself as more of a sinner, the more you study God's word, God's law, or begin to follow in his ways, the question I have to you today is, what are you not understanding about the law of God? Or really, or even maybe, what are you choosing not to see in scripture, maybe because of the sin you've chosen not to acknowledge in your own personal lives? And see, this is the truth about us. We can't see our sin And we need someone else's form of righteousness and grace in the midst of this hard truth to show us what we are not and eventually redeem us from what he has taken us to and what we need of him. And that leads me to my second point, which is God's righteousness. 
Romans 3 and 21 starts off by saying two words, and those two words are, but now. Can we all say, but now? Can we say it again? Say, but now. I want us to say, but now, because but now may be the two most important words that we hear today, because it is a reminder to us that what something currently is, is not necessarily what it will be. What something currently is, the state that you're in, whatever it may be, it does not have to be that another day. And this is good news because it is a reminder to us, for those of us who feel like we've messed up so much, whether it be by the sins that we've committed, either by omission or commission, that we look at our situation and we say, can this even be made right? But God says to you today through the words that were spoken by Paul then, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, that same law that shows us the knowledge of our sin. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. See, despite our sin and despite our flawed righteousness, we have a new righteousness today that we can place our faith in in accordance to this passage. And that righteousness is of who? Oh yes, it is of the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of me, not the righteousness of you, not the righteousness of somebody else, not the righteousness of our ideological or political beliefs, but of the righteousness of God. And that righteousness can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness is a righteousness that is for all people, not some. Why? Because God's righteousness, according to this passage, has no distinction to whom it is extended to. And some of us in here need to be reminded today, myself included, that God did not leave us in charge to remind people who the gospel is for. Or even what righteousness is supposed to look like in someone else's lives. That is God's job and it's based upon his standards. See, God's righteousness looks like, was, and still is Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection that was put on display for the entire world to see. And this is why the gospel is for everyone because, again, the gospel is based upon God's terms and his standards of righteousness that has no distinction of whom it's extended to and not our own. This is why, again, the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. And praise be to God that it's not from us, right? Because if the gospel was from us, then it really wouldn't be the gospel. It would be man's attempt to try to reach God and then enforce those religious ways upon other people. And this is what Paul is essentially combating in verse 23 when he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I decided to study the word all in both the Greek and the Hebrew, and I surprisingly found out that the word all still means all. And since everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, then every person in this room, myself included, is needed of the grace of God and his righteousness to both save and redeem us, not from other people, but from ourselves. See, the gospel is for everyone because everyone falls short of the glory of God daily. We all fall short of the glory of God daily. And this is the revelation that we have today that Paul spoke centuries ago, and that is true righteousness is the revelation of God's righteousness towards mankind. Again, true righteousness is the revelation of God's righteousness towards mankind. And this revelation of God's righteousness to me gives us as a church three types of hope that allows us to move forward in the life that we have in Christ. And they are God's righteousness gives us a new status, a new family, and a new future. Again, God's righteousness gives us a new status, a new family, and a new future. So number one, God's righteousness gives us a new status. Because of the status that we have in Jesus Christ, 
you and I don't have to depend on ourselves anymore to be in right standing with God. And this is good news. All we have to do is acknowledge that our standard of righteousness doesn't measure up to God and then accept him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And it is then at that that moment, God then imputes his righteousness onto us based upon what he did on the cross and not what we can do for him. And it is at that point that God then redeems us as righteous because we are now really imputed with his righteousness. This is good news that we don't have to depend on our own merit anymore. Amen? God's righteousness gives us a new status. Number two, God's righteousness gives us a new family. Because the gospel is for everyone, we as a people can now actually live in biblical unity amongst one another. Because we all know that we're in need of Jesus, because we all fall short of the glory of God, we no longer have the right to look down upon one another, but actually walk together in biblical community with one another. And this is what Paul was striving for in Rome amongst the Jewish and the Gentile followers. He preached that the gospel was for everyone so that two people from two different backgrounds, from two different ways of thinking, would come together in the city of Rome to create a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and multicultural church. And isn't that what we're doing right here at Mosaic in the city of Austin? See, when we are reminded of the status that we have in Christ and how we fall short of the glory of God, we can all come together and say, you know what? For this mission, for the, the mission of Jesus Christ, this is my family, and we are going to go out and impact this city. See, God's righteousness actually gives us a new family. And finally, number three, God's righteousness gives us a new future. So you and I can rest assured in the midst of our lives and the problems that we're facing and the current tensions that we may even have amongst diversity, that one day we will all be restored and redeemed to God's original purpose in which that he created us for. And this is our future hope that one day we would be one with the Father and one with one another for all of eternity without judgment or flaw. And this is where we will actually begin to see the gospel on display clearly for the first time in our lives. Because the gospel has never been a Jesus issue. It's just been a people issue. See, there's nothing wrong with Jesus or the word. There's just something wrong with us. And this is what Paul was lamenting about amongst the believers that were within Rome. But you and I don't have to wait until we get into heaven to begin to see this. We can start living out this truth today. And this is what Paul was hoping for. This is what he was preaching for. This is what he was striving for because he saw this future hope and he saw that it was a new future. And we can have this hope today. Why? Because true hope never keeps us stagnant. True hope only pushes us forward. So let us as a church, while we are still here on earth, begin to live out the truth of this promise that the gospel is indeed for everyone. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.